verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Thank you. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son who has been taken back to heaven, to his eternal throne at your right hand, who will return from that same position and who reigns and rules over all things and in a special way does that in the hearts and the minds of his people through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and by your word. We come before you in his name. We come before you at this time asking that you will use your word this morning to pierce the very depth of our souls. That you would show what it means that your word is living and active. And that your word is able to transform us by the renewing of our minds. That your word is all sufficient. And that we would become a people from this time and moving forwards that continues to and increasingly continues to trust in you by trusting in your word. I pray that everything that I say would be guided by the Holy Spirit and that Christ would once again, we ask that he would be exalted, that he would be 
shown as Lord and Savior of his people. And that someone who has yet to believe would do so, even now during this message. That someone would be strengthened and comforted who's, who's down, would be lifted up. That someone else who, others who are perhaps struggling in their faith, struggling to understand what Christianity is, who Christ is, and, and who God is, would be helped and guided by the ministry of the Spirit and the Word now. And that those of us who are already believers, that are struggling with these things and more, that you'd meet us exactly where you alone know that we need you to meet us and to minister to us. And we ask that all these things would be done for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin with a quick joke and an explanation. It looks like Elder Tommy's dream came true for me. If you were wondering what just took place, if you're looking on the screen or here, present. Um, I actually lost a number of notes this week, including one single note that I had, which is now in front of me again, thanks to my wonderful bride. So, having read these 11 verses, we will look at many more. The theme of, or the title of the sermon, The Purpose of Pentecost, I have four points that I, I want us to see from this passage, from the next chapter of the book of Acts, and a few other books. And these are the points. The first one is God's harvest. I'll make sense soon, hopefully. God's harvest. Secondly, God's witness. Thirdly, God's guidance. And fourthly, God's glory. Look with me for a moment. We'll come back to to Acts chapter 1. But just briefly before we move into Acts chapter 2, let me point out something that the author of this book, Luke, says in chapter 1, verse 2. Verses 1 and 2, rather. He says that in his former book, uh, which is a, alluding to the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the author of Luke and Acts, and he was a doctor. We don't know if he stopped being a doctor or a physician after he became a believer, but we see the meticulous precision of Luke, even in the way he writes. He doesn't want to miss out any details. And he, he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And the, the wording there, what Jesus began to do and teach, is implying that there are works that Jesus continued to do and teach even after he ascended, after he was taken to heaven. And so the question uh, at the end of last week's sermon that I, I asked us to think about, or one of the questions I, at least, was um, how is it that Jesus makes this promise, I will be with you. I will be with you always, not some of the time, 
How can Jesus say that when they watch him later, as Luke has recorded here, ascend before their very eyes? Remember now, he, he had taken on flesh in the conception of the Virgin Mary. We often sing about the Virgin Mary had a baby boy and talk about the virgin birth. But the miracle started at the conception. To, to say he took on flesh means he was truly human, yet without sin. Yet he was truly divine. And he's the only person in this sense that has the absolute divine nature of God and the true humanity yet without sin, as it originally was, who has those two natures unmixed in one person. And so they watched this man, Christ Jesus, ascend before their very eyes. So how is it he can both be with us always to the end of time and continue to do work? As verse 1 implies, he began to do work, meaning he's continuing a work now. That's a question that we have to hold on to as we think about this overarching question of the purpose. What is the purpose of the day of Pentecost? So jump with me over to chapter 2. And let's just read the first four verses there. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is what the day of Pentecost universally across the world for, well, ever since this point in history is commonly known for. But what is the day of Pentecost? What is the significance of this work that God did with these disciples and what they went on to do, speaking in tongues, which means languages, as this translation, and some translations will say it as languages there, where it says the word tongues in verse 4. What is the significance of this day and what was the day of Pentecost? For the Jews... The day of Pentecost, historically, and to this day, I think some of them might still celebrate this day, um, it was basically a celebration feast. It was one of the, the few major celebrations which came exactly seven weeks after the day of the Sabbath day on the Passover. So during the Passover, the Sabbath day that, that fell at the end of that point in time, if you went seven days from that Sabbath day on that Saturday, which is 49, seven times seven is 49, it's the 50th day is the day of Pentecost, the day after that seventh week, that seventh Sabbath, which would be Sunday. On that day, they were all together. On that Sunday, they were all together in one place, and this event took place. And all of a sudden, this, 
This day which was commonly known as a celebration of feasts, the day of feasts or harvest day, some of them would call it, when they celebrated God's favor, God's blessing, God's provision. Um, when, when they would gather grain and things like that to celebrate that God had provided for them. Ever since they actually left Egypt, not long after they started to celebrate this day called Pentecost. And so in the midst of the, the nation of Israel, and in fact, if you read verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from, get this, every nation under heaven. That's what we're told here by God through Luke in his word. That there were Jews from every nation here. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Right? The significance is this. They are there to celebrate this day. This period. This rejoicing in the, the harvest of God. And it's at this point in history where God chooses to make a harvest of his own. He begins, if you will, what you could call the birth of the new covenant church. Remember going back to chapter 1 again. Uh, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem in verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And again, this shows us that Jesus never did anything or taught anything of his own authority. In fact, Jesus didn't come to earth and say, I came to do a new thing. Rather, he said, I came to fulfill the will of my father. So the reference to what the father had promised which Jesus says, you heard me speak about, is talking about previous prophecies that God had given the people of Israel. Any confusion that they had over the things like the new covenant and the spirit coming and what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3 about being born again was not based on God not being clear. God had told them for example, in Ezekiel chapter 36, that one day in this new covenant, he would take out the heart of stone and give his people a heart of flesh. And he would cause his laws to be in our hearts. He'd cause us to walk in his ways from the heart, not driving with a whip, not simply just following external practices or traditions, but from the heart. We would be renewed. We'd be born again. In Jeremiah 23 and countless other areas that God spoke about this coming. And in fact, Peter, after they start to mock the believers who speak in tongues, he gives an explanation of what is happening. So just follow along in chapter 2 a little bit. If you look at verses 7 through 13 it gives a long list of locations that these people came from, from all the nations under the sun. And they use the word tongues over and over. And they say, 
They're speaking in our own tongues or languages. They use the word languages and tongues in the exact same way. Meaning, how is it? In fact, this is the very question that they ask, is it not? Verse 8, then how is it? These are the people who are hearing these believers who have gathered in the upper room speak in tongues. How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language Parthians, Medes, Elamites residents of Mesopotamia Judea, Cappadocia Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and so forth but verse 13 says some of them were mocking Ah, they've had too much wine they're saying they're just talking foolishness, they don't even know what they're saying they've had too much wine and Peter stands up with the other eleven in verse 14, and he says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now wait a minute. This is the same Peter who denied Christ three times. This is the same Peter who watched them crucify him. These are the same disciples, and this is the same Peter who abandoned him. In his hour of greatest need. What we're seeing here. Is what Jesus promised. That you will be clothed. With power. From on high. Again in chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit. Comes on you. And what will happen then? You will be my witnesses. What is the evidence? That we are Christians today. That we fear God more than men. Peter knew what he was about to say. Could have got him killed. Or jailed at best. Come back to chapter 2 verse 15. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only 9 in the morning. Of course some of you are probably thinking. No. Well, I know people who are drunk at 9 in the morning. It might shock you to know I did that for a few years too. There's people we know who are drunk at nine in the morning. But notice what Peter says. No. This is actually, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Remember Jesus said, wait for what the Father promised. And it's referred to as a gift. A gift. And so here's another prophetic promise that was long before Christ's time. Peter says, what is happening right now in this moment? And this is very important because there's a lot of false teaching about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, what we who claim to believe in Christ should see based on false ideas about the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what Peter says. There's a prophecy he's about to tell us that Joel gave. And he's saying, it's being fulfilled right now. This is actually what's happening. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Acts chapter 2, verse 16 downwards. This is the prophecy that's happening before your eyes. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and uh, daughters. And by the way, all people there is just a reference to all believers across the globe not just Jews, right? Because this new covenant includes 
all nations, not just one set of people. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams, will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. So Peter, Peter has just told them, the prophecy of Joel, which you will probably have heard like me, people applying in different times in our period of world history, that prophecy was fulfilled over 2,000 years ago. That's what Peter said. I didn't say it. Like, like the, like the mailman, some people say, I'm just the mailman, right? Don't shoot the mailman. Peter said, and since all scripture is breathed out by God, God said, this prophecy has been fulfilled. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Notice the purpose of miracles, wonders, and signs is to do what? Testify to Jesus. Shine the spotlight on him, not themselves. Attested by wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And then Peter goes on to share a few other prophecies from the Psalms and to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ. Jump down to verse 37 of chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so, with many other words, he warned them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We get lost reading passages like this often. We want to look at all the fine details, but I want to zoom out and just look at the big picture again. What is happening the people who crucified Jesus, and for the most part, the majority of them are still trying to kill Christians. They don't want to hear what Peter says. What does Peter say when they ask what they should do? Well, you should change your mind. That's what the word repent means. Metanoia. It means a change of the mind. You're thinking this, that, and the other about Jesus and maybe some possible other saviors or ways of salvation. Change the way you're thinking about that and conform it in that change 
to the Word of God, to what Christ has taught, to what the apostles have taught. Change, repent. And you notice in the word repent, you can't just turn away from something. It's a turning to something. It's a repent and believe. That's how Jesus started his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And it's a command. Peter commands the murderers of his master to bow down to him and to submit to his lordship. And look what happens. As he stands there with power from on high, clothed now, filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 were added that day. I think we should look at passages like this and find extreme hope. We think about the, the candles that have been lit. Hope, peace. There's no hope outside of faith in Christ. We are all going to face Him. I might not finish this sermon. Maybe I'll drop down dead. He might crack the sky and come back and call all of us to account before the judgment seat of God. We don't know. He holds this time of the world and our life in His hands. But this we know. We have hope and we have peace with God if we are in Christ. And that is the only hope and the only means of peace that anyone will ever have. And so with a, a compulsion of love and a conviction that we should fear God and not man, we can stand boldly before the world in love and in confidence and proclaim Christ, whether it's a quiet conversation or an argument you didn't mean to get into. I'm not saying to be argumentative, that's different. But we need to be witnesses. That is the very reason why we exist, is it not? This is why we're still here. This is our purpose. But what we see happening on the day of Pentecost at this point is that God is harvesting from every nation. And, and this is what the, the tongues, the languages that they were given were to do. To proclaim Christ in their own languages so that they would go back to those nations. And by the way, when it says in our own language, it, it, the multiple times that it's used in, in chapter 2 there, in the first um, 12 verses or so, it actually refers also to dialects. So it'd be like, I know that we speak English, but it'd be like East and West Bay, you know, slang. It means even with, it, even with the twang of how they spoke, the Holy Spirit gave them the capacity. And notice they didn't train, right? Jesus didn't go back and say, go back to Jerusalem and set up a school of languages or tongues. Hmm. Set up a training course for tongues. Actually, no. Verse 4. As the Spirit enabled them. The purpose was to proclaim Christ so that God is getting this global harvest on the day of harvest. This is when it begins. This actually also, in the prophecy of Joel, notice where it starts there in verse 17. Peter picks it up on Joel's prophecy up at this point. He says, In the last days. Friends, we are in the last days. 
This moment in church history, which was really the beginning of, you could say, church history. It wasn't the beginning of God's kingdom, but this is when the New Testament church was born. This was the inauguration of what we call the last days. We should see the last days as every moment in between the ascension of Christ and his second coming. It's not like, oh, this nation over here set these new laws and this other thing happened. The last days are coming. No, if that's how we think, we need to wake up. Because scripture is clear. We are in the last days and that should urge us to be faithful. But again, the the purpose of this as Acts 1 verse 8 was to be witnesses, right? That's the second point. God's witness. To bear witness. To bear witness to what? The miracles themselves? Signs? The wonders? We have a lot of movements. There's a big one in this country too. We as Christians maybe with good intentions, are getting sucked into. In the midst of what feels like a period of a turning away, siblings, parents, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, I know I feel it too. We say, where are they? Even, even worse, those who profess to be Christians Where are you on Sunday morning is the heart's cry of many of us who are trying to be faithful to these gatherings. It's a fair cry. It's a right desire. But in the midst of that kind of longing to see a greater faithfulness, a greater commitment to what you could call the basic means of grace, what we're doing this morning, Coming together, praying together. What what does Acts 2.42 say? They devoted, it's an interesting word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. No lights, no glitz, no glam, no, no flashiness. A confidence in what God has given His church. To be the means by which he fulfills his mission by the power of the Spirit. The the temptation for, for many of us is to think if we can just add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. If we can have this big event. And let's just put some icing on the cake. If we can tell people that they need to come to this event so that everyone who comes who's sick will be healed. And demons will be cast out. And your businesses will start to prosper. Well maybe then we can really get people committed. But what is the focus of the commitment that we see when the Spirit comes like this? The focus is Christ. All of the miracles were supposed to be like signposts and Testimonies to point to the person and the work of Christ. See again, this was a new age. This was a, a period where they bore witness to the new covenant that God had spoken about. And in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit dwells in His people. And go back to Acts chapter 1 again. 
Verse 8. You will be my witnesses. He ends by saying to the ends of the earth. Verse 5. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a reference to the way in which Christ Himself, when the Spirit begins to work in a person's heart through the Gospel, through the truth of God's Word, Christ Himself immerses, like in baptism, immerses us into the life of the Spirit. Outside of this act of God, and no one's involved in it, (laughs) no pope, no priest, no pastor, no elder, no parent or grandparent, is involved in the working of God to baptize a person into the Spirit. But once you have been immersed into the Spirit, it's the same thing as saying that the Spirit Himself is now indwelling us. This didn't happen in the Old Covenant. The Holy Spirit would minister to the priests and the kings and the prophets by by coming upon them in a special way and empowering them for their work. But never before had anyone been continually filled and indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit in an unending way. Again, this is how Jesus can say, I will be with you always. That's the promise of the new covenant. But this was never given to us. This this moment, the purpose of what took place on this Pentecost day was not so that we could come back to Acts 2 and somehow try to reenact it. But maybe if we can somehow reenact what's in Acts 1 and 2, 3,000 people will be saved every Sunday. Well, that's not a bad wish. And we should pray and and work and live and hope that multiple people every week, countless people through Facebook, through the radio, when you all hear this on the radio, we should pray that thousands of souls would be saved. But when you read passages like this, it's just like the Gospels. I described it this way. It's similar to a historical narrative. There's two different kinds of literature that are at work in the book of Acts. And mostly it's this one. The first one is this. It's called descriptive. It's a descriptive passage. There's, there's another kind of literature called prescriptive. You know when you go and you, you get a prescription. You're being prescribed you know, what, what you need. And Prescriptive, in terms of biblical literature, actually means this is something that you should repeat. Now, what is, what is repeatable is the devotion. Notice again in the, the first four verses of chapter 2, they were all together in one place. Christ commands them, go to Jerusalem and wait. So the 11 apostles and 120 other people go back to an upper room after this ascension and they were there for 40 days they were praying they were doing what their Lord commanded them trust, pray, wait be faithful, worship they weren't trying to make anything happen and all of a sudden this act of God comes upon them 
When we read this, this is called descriptive. But their devotion, their commitment to the Lord, their boldness to stand up and preach Christ, that is prescriptive for us, brothers and sisters. We should preach the gospel. We should bear witness to Christ. But we should not presume upon how God Almighty will act. That is spiritual arrogance at best. If I were to say to you, I want to invite the Cayman Islands to come out next Sunday morning because I am telling you, I decree and I declare great life for you, for, for your business. You, you'll prosper. You will be healed. And all these things, there would probably be a lot more people in this building. But you know what I would have just done? I would have been a liar. I would have lied about what I can actually say with confidence. Can God do all of those things? Yes, He can, and He does. Does He promise as part of believing the gospel that we will not get sick and die? No, He doesn't. In fact, Jesus says that when we take up our cross and follow Him, and again, come on, it's a cross, right? He doesn't say, pick up your hammock and come to the seven-mile beach. To follow Christ is to recognize that we're being called into a life of sacrifice for His name's sake. But He says that if you follow Me, you will be persecuted by the majority of the world who does not believe in Christ, and you will be hated for My name's sake. So to bear witness, truly, will come with that. People who speak supposedly in the name of Christ but say things like God desires and decrees your health and wealth and prosperity for believing in Christ. That is a bad witness to His name. And I can tell you this. I've heard of very personal accounts of more than a few people in this country who have been near death and a couple who've died. Messages that were sent around the island to, to come because we're going to raise such and such a person back to life. It didn't happen. A family was crushed a few years ago in America because a global message was put out that they're going to raise the little girl that died back to life. They didn't. Do you know what that does? Do you know what kind of witness that is for the gospel? A poisonous witness. Because what that does is people who have yet to believe look at that and say, well, the opposite happened of what you said God promised. I don't want to believe in this. But to tell a person the truth would be more like this. I can promise you this. If you repent and trust in Christ, you will have the complete forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future sins. You will have a new heart because the Holy Spirit Himself will be dwelling in you, causing you to walk in God's ways, to desire godly things, to fight against your sinful nature. And giving you hope and peace in your spirit through that faith, through that relationship with Christ. 
you will become a new person. You will enter into new life. And at the second coming, you will be completely glorified. All tears wiped away. No sickness, no sadness, no suffering. See, we're promised perfection in the gospel. Just not in this life. So, watch out for misplaced promises, brothers and sisters. And anyone who's in a movement with misplaced promises, I tell you this, there's only one godly act of wisdom, and it is to set yourselves apart from them. To be separate. Which comes to the third point. God's guidance. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He reveals for us not only what is true of Christ, but what is not true. I'm not making up what I said, by the way, about people who have been near to death or some who've died. You talk about a devastating impact that that can have on someone's faith. My prayer is that if you're listening to me and you are one of those people, that you will learn not to listen to people who misplace God's promises. But thirdly, we get God's guidance. Look at John 14. It's in page 764 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus promised about the Holy Spirit coming before he left. And in John 14, look at verses 25 through 26, through 27. Jesus says this, All this I have spoken, and this is in the upper room when he's teaching his disciples. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit. You notice he says, he will do this and he will do this. And when he comes... He is a person. He is not the Father. He is not the Son. He is the third person of the triune God, the only true and living God. And Jesus says there in verse 26 that one of his names is this. He's a counselor. He's a counselor. Jump over to chapter 16 with me. A couple chapters over and you'll see the same kind of language. Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, but more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What is one of the primary purposes, if not the primary purpose of the Spirit? His primary goal is what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. The exaltation of Jesus Christ. The glorification of Jesus Christ. And it is when we walk in spirit and truth according to God's Word, when we think, believe, and worship as such, that the ministry of the Spirit is hard at work in us. 
individually and as a church. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. You see the Trinity here, right? Jesus is showing that there are three separate persons, but they're all on the same mission. They share the nature, they share the mission, they share the purposes. They share all that they own. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. But again, look at verse 13. When this Spirit of truth comes, what will He do? He will guide you into all truth. There was a primary sense in which this was a unique promise to the apostles. Because the very truth that He's referring to that belonged to them, that some of those apostles enacted was the very words we have in these Bibles in our hands. All Scripture is breathed out by God. But how so? The Spirit working through those men of God to give us the completion of the Word of God. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You see? And then the Son entrusted, just like that prophetic office, was for the man to speak on behalf of God, thus saith the Lord. Jesus entrusted this task to the apostles and the Spirit of truth guided them. That is why we have to be a people of the Word. This book, I think there's an old hymn, I don't know which one it is, but I think there's a line that says, ever old and ever new, something like that. Meaning, don't be deceived into thinking about what's relevant. Maybe some of you think this. There are people who would tell me that standing week after week and uh, trying to teach the Bible and, and us having a time like this instead of completely rewiring what we do, well, this is not relevant. They would say, no longer in 2023 is what you all Christians have been doing for 2,000 and something years. It's not relevant. So let's chase after what's relevant. Tell me, what is more relevant than the eternal God who holds all that He has created in His hands, who speaks through His Word? What is more relevant than being a person who's devoted to the Word and prayer? The answer is simple. Nothing. The most relevant thing we could do, and the way, the, way the Spirit actually works He's the one who gave us this book, brothers and sisters. This is God's guidance. This is how the Spirit guides us. And fourthly, again, this is all for God's glory. If you, if you jump over to Isaiah chapter 11, there's actually a number of, of, of passages that say the same kind of thing in their own way. But Isaiah 11 it's in page 491 if you're using the Pew Bible. Isaiah 11, verse 9. Speaking about the branch from Jesse. When, when God has cut down in judgment this nation, but then there's one who comes up from Jesse. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Speaking about all the things that will, will come from him. 
Isaiah 11:9 he says they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples the nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious it's referring to actually beyond the time that we're in now again this is referring to the ultimate purpose for which God does all things that the earth would be filled with the glory of God that was the the way things were before by the way before sin entered that was the best that we could have ever tried to achieve but there's a there's a type of double glory that comes through the new creation because God is now going to put on full display things that we would have never understood because I know we all struggle with questions like well why did he allow sin to enter I mean he's in control he's sovereign why not just keep it in perfection first of all let's let God be God but we should accept and welcome questions too if they're asked in the right heart how would we know what mercy is how would we know what grace is how would we know what forgiveness is these are the things that revelation tells us that the angels and the saints in heaven are praising him for for all eternity and which if we're going to follow the prayer of Jesus where he teaches his disciples how to pray on earth as it is in heaven if we really want that that's what our life should be about right that same picture we praise him for his love his faithfulness his mercy who is worthy to open the scroll the lamb who was slain how would we know if god did not forgive sin which came in in the first place And there are things which we will always struggle to understand. And there are things which we may die not understanding. And, and, and honestly struggling with. But is he not worthy? That the earth will be filled with the glory and the knowledge of God. The, the purpose of Pentecost, brothers and sisters, can be summed up also in a, a line from a Christmas hymn Hark the Herald Angels Sing there's a line that says born that man no more may die mild he lays his glory by born for what purpose that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king this is what god was doing and is doing ever since through the person and work of the spirit and he remains committed to this mission Jesus gave the great commission we saw that in closing Matthew closing Matthew out last week but how will we fulfill this by the person and the power of the holy spirit 
indwelling the people of God, propelling the people of God, increasing the harvest, the witness, and the guidance so that all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. And this is what He's been doing in any of us this morning who have been believing for any amount of time. Maybe sometimes we lose track of, we lose sight of this, the, the primary purposes for which what, you know, God is working. But let us all make it our prayer that as this year closes and as we move towards the birth of Christ, that we'll ask Him to help us stay focused on our very purpose, the purpose for which we were born again as a church that others would come to receive that, that he would help us to be faithful. And as I said, this is, this is the, the exaltation of Christ started with the public humiliation of Christ. He laid his glory aside and was born in a dirty, stinky stall. I promise you, it wouldn't have been a nice place to be in that manger. It wasn't just because there was no crib. Everything that animals are and animals do was somewhere close by. Jesus was publicly humiliated but remained faithful in the worst of circumstances for His Father's glory so that we in His exaltation would be lifted up along with Him. This is the Christ of Christmas. He came so that he could die, rise again, send the Spirit so that we could rise spiritually until we rise again in glory with Him. He is worthy. Let us bow before Him. No. Father, we thank You again for this time together. We thank You for the way that You show Your love for us. Forgive us for the times that the beauty of your word does not seem beautiful to us. That the mission that you have given us and brought us into gets crowded out and clouded out by so many other things in our lives. I pray that all of us here would make some not just New Year's, but some life resolutions. Help us to metaphorically or literally to look at our schedules, to look at our life, to look at our calendars, and to ask how we can align ourselves in this mission a little bit more. Thank you for, for those who are faithfully trying to do that on a regular basis. Would you encourage us and equip us to be faithful in this mission that you've called us to. And we thank you, blessed Holy Spirit, that you take the truth of God's word and you plant it in our soul and you give us sight and life. You conform us more to the image of Christ so that he would get the glory for anything good we do. And may we never seek credit for any good that we do in his name. May we be humble before Him. 
And remember what John the Baptist said that if we lift him up, the people will be drawn to him. And that we must decrease in different ways. We must decrease. But he must increase. Let these things be a constant prayer for the hearts of those here who are believing, who are listening, that are Christians at this time. And for those who are not yet Christians, I pray that they would take a a serious look at their life and at the reality of their death and the second coming and the fact that there is a moment unknown when they will have what we know as the, the last breath. That we all have that moment and we don't know when it is, but it is coming. And that we would recognize the grace of God. That they would see the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That He came to forgive sin and to give second birth to all who would look to Him. And that He's with them always to the end of the world. We praise You for these things. We thank You, Father, for Your plan of salvation. And we ask now that You'd You'd help us to continue worshiping in spirit and truth, not just at this time, but for the rest of the day and the rest of our lives. Let this be a season when we witness well for the exaltation and the glory of Your Son. For we ask these things in His name. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship leaders back up at this time.